Now today, uh, we are just going to focus on the front end of this passage. Uh, You'll see the rest of the chapter uh, is almost entirely made up of the words of Christ while he offers his defence for what's just taken place. But we're going to look just for a little while at the front end uh, and we're going to ask one simple question raised by the passage. Why does God heal some and not others? Why does God heal some and not others? I, I bet we've heard it all before. Um, oh, oh, sorry, I bet we've all heard that question before, uh, and I bet uh, many of you have asked that question for yourself before. Why does God heal some and not others? And, and why does it ha- seem to be that he doesn't heal that many at all anymore? For some of us, uh, the question hits very close to the bone, I'm sure. Perhaps it's your own sickness or suffering. Perhaps it's that of someone else's. I do remember, um, I've shared before how uh, when I was in uh, my final year of school, my father passed away. He'd had cancer for about a year and a half. Uh, And I do remember my parents having a conversation with an old man who used to attend our church um, and that man explaining to my parents at length that the reason my dad was sick and not getting better was because he did not have enough faith. Um, and uh, and uh, if I can be grim for just a little while, that man was a very old man at the time. This was about 15 years ago. I suspect that man uh, is no longer with us. Uh, and I do wonder uh, what he thinks might have killed him in the end, uh, if it's all down to faith uh, and how much you have, and if he's uh, able to berate others for not having enough. Yeah, why, does it, why is it that anyone dies at all? But it can be insensitive, can't it, uh, at, at, le- at, at the very least, uh, and often, I think, downright wrong uh, to speak like this to anyone who is suffering. But it is a common and tempting answer to the question, um, and it's the main one we're going to scrutinise today. Well, you know, why is it that God feels, it heals some and not others? Is it because uh, of you know, the amount or lack thereof of a person's faith? And I think it's a common answer for a bunch of reasons, uh, one answer, I think, one reason why I think is that we do like to have control. We like to be able to understand uh, where a problem lies and see whether we can fix it for ourselves. And so, you know, if the answer is faith, well, gee, maybe that's something that I can drum up a little bit more of. Um, if there's something wrong, we may be able to fix it, and so we want to have control of a situation. Um, I also think maybe some of the reason people turn to things like faith as an, as an explanation of why you may or may not get better uh, is because we are, as a race, superstitious at heart. Uh, you, know, it's, um, you know, sickness can come about for any number of reasons. It can be microbes, it can be injuries, it can be genetic predispositions, any number of things. Uh, but if you can't find a solution to any one of those things, then we start in desperation to look elsewhere. Uh, And I think almost anyone, even the most rational, reasonable person, can start to look for superstitious uh, or supernatural explanations uh, for why a thing may or may not be happening. And I think in the church, another reason why some people blame a lack of faith for those who don't get better is because Scripture does seem to indicate a connection between faith and healing at many points. So, for example, Jesus says often uh, when he heals people, your faith has healed you. Uh, and so he, he is directly connecting uh, a person's faith with their healing. Um, and also uh, in the story of last week in chapter 4, uh, you may remember there's a man, he's a, he's a royal official, he's got a son uh, who is dying, and Jesus doesn't say your faith 
has healed your son. Um, but we do see a very impressive act of this man's faith as he, as he walks away from Jesus, uh, believing uh, that what Jesus has said, even from a distance, has taken effect. And so we do see a connection between faith and healing in the Scriptures. But there are parts of Scripture that draw us away from making such simplistic, sweeping answers. Uh, And this passage today is one of them. There are parts of Scripture that teach us that, no, it's not as simple as just saying that people aren't healed because they don't have enough faith. The man in this passage is a little bit of a shambles, uh, and his faith uh, is dubious at best. So let's take a look at just, you know, a few examples of the shambles in this man's life. First shambles, um, it's not a big one, uh, or it's nothing necessarily to blame him for, but he is a crippled man. Uh, he is a man uh, in great and desperate need. So that's not to say that he's a bad man or that he deserves to be that way or that he deserves to stay that way, but there's not much to draw us to him apart from, you know, sympathy. Uh, for his condition that he's had for a really long time. And so this man is in somewhat of a shambles. It does remind us, it should remind us, uh, that there is not much in any of us that would draw God to us, except perhaps sympathy and compassion because of our state. It's not that God comes to us and is pleased to see, you know, just you know, an awesome life with everything in order, Uh, but that actually part of what draws God to us uh, is our great need for him and our desperate need. This man is also in a shambles, shambles number two. Uh, His hope at this time uh, is not necessarily in Jesus. Uh, It's not even directly in God himself. It is in some sort of strange ancient superstition. So if you've got your Bible open, take a look with me at verse four. Seriously, look at verse four. Can you see it? Verse 4 isn't there uh, in most Bibles. There's a little note um, in in my Bible, if you've got one of the church Bibles, at the end of verse 3 and just before verse 5, there's there's a little number that points you down to the bottom uh, to, to see where some writers of the manuscripts have added in an explanation. They say this, um, that the man is waiting uh, or the invalids are waiting for the moving of the water for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water And whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. Now that's an addition, um, which is why most of our most of your Bibles have left it out. They've just made a little note of it. But it's but actually it just fills in some of the gaps that are already filled in for us a little bit further on in verse seven. When Jesus asked the man, Do you want to be healed? he says, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. All, all that missing verse 4 is sort of explained is that uh, some people believe there, there was an angel that would descend to stir up the water. Uh, and, the, and his excuse for not being healed is that other people get in there before him and so, you know, he doesn't get, you know, the special blessing. Now, I don't want to blame the man too harshly for holding to this uh, superstition, uh, this ancient belief. Uh, He's certainly not alone in holding it for one. It does say in verse 3 that there's a multitude of people like him uh, who are looking for this uh, kind of miraculous healing in the pool. Uh, And the man is desperate, isn't he? He's, you know, 38 years he's been this way. Uh, And perhaps his presence here does point to an example of him reaching out to God in some small way, but... Um, it's not like his faith, remember this is a man who gets healed in the end, it's not like his faith uh, is is anything to write home about. 
Shambles number three. So uh, he is crippled. Um, he's got some sort of strange superstition. And Shambles number three, he doesn't even know who Jesus is. Completely oblivious. Uh, how can his faith be in some correct understanding of Jesus if he doesn't even have the foggiest idea who he is? He doesn't know who Jesus is during the conversation. He doesn't even know who Jesus is after Jesus has healed him. He still doesn't seem to be able to connect the dots of of who it is he's just been speaking with. Jesus says in verse 8, get up, take up your bed and walk. The Jews Jews, uh, bail this man up while he's walking around with his mat and they bail him up for, for, you know, the terrible crime of working on the Sabbath, of carrying uh, his rolled up mat uh, on a day of rest. And he tells them in verse, um, verse 11 onwards, he, he answers them, the man who healed me, that man said, take up your bed and walk. And they say, well, who is that man? And he says, well, I, I, I don't know. He doesn't know because it says Jesus had withdrawn because of the great crowd. Uh, by this time, he knows that Jesus has the power to heal, but right up to and including the miracle... Uh, He just had no such clue who Jesus is. He's clearly not healed because of his faith in Jesus. Can you see that? Um, This is clearly a work, a gracious and generous work of Christ on him. Um, Nothing in himself uh, has brought this about. So is healing related to the amount or the nature of your faith? Is your comfort you know, can we extend this to other things? Is your comfort in life directly proportional to how much faith you have? You know, for example, more faith equals uh, health, more health, or more faith equals more money, or more faith equals a more fulfilled marriage, or more comfort, or more, you know, etc., etc. The answer is not necessarily. The best we can say from today's passage is not necessarily. We can't say absolutely not, because there are, remember, passages where faith is connected to a person's healing, but that's just not always the case. I do want to say just a short warning, though. Uh, This isn't to say that faith isn't of some value in avoiding pain and suffering. An applied faith, an applied faith, does dodge certain difficulties in this life. Uh, If you follow the wisdom, for example, of Proverbs, if you follow uh, the laws of Scripture, then you will be spared many troubles in this life. You will be spared the consequences of unwise uh, and sinful actions. And applied faith does dodge certain difficulties, but it does not guarantee a life of comfort And it absolutely does not guarantee uh, a life of health or even a long life. It is true that today, uh, it seems like a general truth today, that people live like uh, there are no consequences uh, or that we shouldn't have to suffer ill consequences for the decisions we make because the decisions we make, you know, are the best decisions. You know, we're, you know, I am the person who's best placed to make a decision at any point in time for my own life and so who are you to say uh, that my decision is wrong? And who am I then to suffer the consequences of having made a terrible choice in my life? You know, these days you're bad if you say that anything is bad. Uh, in fact, we have to say everything is good uh, and every decision is valid. Uh, 
Now, of course, I'm saying, I'm saying this with sarcasm. I don't actually agree with this, but this is sort of the air that we're breathing at the moment today. Everything is good. Everything is okay. Everything is permissible. Uh, there is a man, he's a, he's a minister of a church uh, over in Perth, I think, in WA. His name is Steve McAlpine. Uh, if you, you may have seen some of his blogs online. Uh, he, he does write some very well thought out pieces. He critiques, he, in his critique of this age, when people are saying everything is good and everything is okay and all is well, he says that very soon the bodies will wash up on the shore uh, because there are, there are going to be refugees Uh, in the years to come of this way of living life. Uh, People are going to suffer the consequences and we're already seeing people suffer the consequences uh, for living a faithless life. Uh, And we do need to be ready uh, to receive these bodies and these refugees uh, as they come. Uh, The church needs to be prepared and we need to be setting the tone for living a life of faith. But do remember in this passage... Living a life of faith is not a guarantee of a smooth and easy life and it is certainly not a guarantee of healing. But what if God can heal? You know, we see this in the passage, Jesus heals the man. What if God can heal and yet he chooses not to? What does that say about God? Does that make God terrible because he can but he doesn't. After all, you know, I I prayed a similar prayer of confession. I led us all in this uh, today, you know, praying as we confess not only the wrong things that we've done, but the right things that we should have done, but we didn't. Should God be saying sorry to us for seeing, you know, opportunities to heal and he was able to do it, but he hasn't? You know, is God in the wrong when he sees things he can do, but chooses not to act? Obviously, I think not. I think what it means and what it teaches us is that we should be uh, adopting his perspective. Uh, We aren't to stand in judgment over God, uh, to uh, to blame him for how he does and doesn't act, but we should be adopting his perspective. And he gives us the clues to what his perspective is uh, in relation to sickness and healing uh, in verse 14. Jesus finds the man in the temple, and he says to him, See, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, possibly in this statement, he actually may be suggesting uh, to the man, we don't know the man's background, but he may be suggesting that the man's illness or sickness or injury actually was as a consequence of sin in his past. Um, and we do see sometimes that happening in Scripture too, don't we? Um, there, there are times when people are struck down in the moment of their sin. Um, but we also see many times when they're not. But Jesus tells the man that his current injury or, the, or the, things, the thing that he's just been healed from isn't his biggest problem. His biggest problem is the same problem that you and I have. It is the problem of his sin. And it is the looming problem not of future sickness but of a judgment to come. So we need to be adopting Christ's perspective that our biggest problem uh, is not our sickness and our current ailments, but it is the problem deep within of our sin. And praise be to God that he doesn't leave us with that problem. We do have a guarantee with our sin that it is forgiven We have that guarantee because Jesus 
bought our forgiveness at the cost of his own life on the cross. And we have the guarantee that the problem has been solved because he conquered it and he rose to life three days later. In Jesus' death and resurrection, there is no guarantee of healing or of perfect health uh, or anything like that. But there is a guarantee that for those who put their trust in him, uh, who seek refuge in him, the Son of God, uh, there is forgiveness and there is hope uh, and there is you know, a way of dodging that certain judgment that in fact we deserve. So why does God heal some and not others? You know, we've meandered around the point and, and the truth is we just we don't know the final answer. We don't have a neat uh, formula to apply. Uh, we've certainly learned that we can't just say something simple like, oh, that person's not healed because of their lack of faith. Do me a favour and never say that to a person. Um, we, we must be able to see that for sure from this passage. I do think, you know, as we learn to apply the miracles of Jesus uh, or learn, learn lessons from them, uh, they all are so different. And it's impossible to make, you know, just a certain rule from any one of them. Um, it's kind of like, you know, for example, there is, there is a miracle uh, listed in the book of Mark uh, where Jesus heals a man gradually. You might know the story. Jesus heals a man who is blind. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, at, at first blush, the man sort of opens his eyes. He says, oh, I can see, but it's just kind of shaped. So people look like trees. It's all fuzzy. Uh, and Jesus, uh, you know, acts further, and then he can see for real. Now, if you read that passage, uh, you can't just apply that absolutely to say, you know, Jesus always heals gradually. Obviously, because... There are so many other times, this time included, uh, that, uh, that Jesus heals immediately. But we also can't read all these passages and so, where Jesus heals immediately and see that God must always heal immediately and completely because we, we have these other examples. It's a little bit like someone described to me once about a video that they'd seen. This is a terrible story because it's not even a video that I saw. It's just a video that someone else saw. But they described to me a video that they saw of someone who took uh, a big stump and they chopped... Uh, away bits of the wood and fashioned it into a chair. So it was just one stump uh, making a chair out of one piece. And this is how they described, this person described it to me. I can't even remember who it is, but they said uh, the person took out a chainsaw and they chopped out all the wrong bits and left the chair. And I was thinking, that's, that's a strange way of putting it. You know, they, haven't they chopped out all the right bits um, so that there's something useful left? You know, what, what are they doing? Are you removing the right bits or the wrong bits? It's kind of like a, a sculpture, isn't it? Uh, what is left is a work of art, but all the bits that are removed, in one way of looking at it, it it's all the wrong bits. Uh, it's, it's not the right bits. Um, and it's a little bit like that uh, as, we, as we piece together each of the miracles of Christ and try to figure out what is it that they teach us about God. Often what they're doing is just removing the wrong bits. And so one wrong thing to think about God is that he always and only heals people with a fully-fledged, perfect faith. And this miracle today must teach us that is, that is not necessarily always the case. That is the wrong bit that's been removed from our view of God. And as we put all these pieces together, um, we start to see a picture, like, you know, like a chair, something useful, or like a sculpture, something beautiful. We start to piece together slowly and steadily this beautiful picture of who God is uh, and how he works in the world. We see uh, at the end here that Jesus is saying that he is all about doing his father's work. 
Uh, the man, as it says in verse 15, the man went away they, and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, uh, and I am working. Who knows how and what God does uh, in his work at all points? How, how can we begin to understand how he will and won't act uh, in specific circumstances. Uh, but this is the will and the work of God, uh, in some instances to heal uh, and, in, and in some instances to save. This is his work in his mysterious providence uh, and, and we must put our faith in him. Uh, we must be able to trust him uh, and submit uh, to him and his whims uh, because we must be able to trust that in the end, uh, some promises are for sure. There is salvation, there is forgiveness for our sins. Now, what I've been saying today is that, you know, measuring a, a person's faith isn't a sure way of knowing for sure how God will act in their life. It, it just isn't. But a bad application from today would be to say, well, don't worry about your faith. Um, I want to say, hang on to your faith. Your faith may not promise a perfect life today. It certainly brings no guarantees of healing. Um, but it is the only winning formula for the life to come. Uh, and it does come with its rewards. So let's pray. And Father, we pray that as we come to your word and... Um, and, and see Christ's work uh, and hear his words. Uh, we pray that you will help us to take the right messages away. Uh, we pray that you will help us to see today that um, suffering and sickness uh, aren't necessarily to do with our faith or, or lack thereof. There is no perfect formula that we can apply to guarantee uh, health and long life. Uh, and we don't understand all your purposes. We don't understand uh, every way uh, that you act and in every circumstance. Lord, we pray that you will increase our faith today to see that uh, you are at work at all times and help us to believe and see that you are at work always for the good of those who love you. Even when we may not love the circumstances that we've placed in, uh, we pray that you'll help us to believe. God, we do confess uh, our lack of faith. Uh, we confess uh, our tendency uh, to jump to simplistic conclusions. Uh, we pray that bit by bit you will remove all the wrong bits uh, so that we can see uh, a picture of you that is beautiful and glorious and yet still mysterious uh, and something, uh, someone to be in awe of. Uh, and Father, we pray uh, that you will save us. Uh, we thank you for your perfect guarantee bought uh, by the blood of Jesus and sealed and secured by his resurrection uh, that uh, while we may not have any promises for this life, we do have hope for the next. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.